You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Nico. Nico is a local Tucson artist. We'll be right back with Nico, but first, let's talk about blame. So I've been having a lot of discussions this last couple of weeks with a loved one about blame, feeling like like I am being blamed for things, or the intention is to blame me. And they've been saying, no, it's about accountability or responsibility. And I'm not sure where the line is between those two things. So I looked up the definition, which is something I like to do, see what the dictionary has to say. And it says, blame is to assign responsibility for a fault or wrong. And I think that's where I run into trouble with blame. I don't know if I believe in faults and wrongs. I believe that people interact and do their best. And sometimes their best is pretty horrible. But I I don't feel comfortable assigning a fault or wrong to an interaction. And that's not to say there's nothing in the world that's like, like everything's okay and you can do anything to anybody. That is not what I'm saying. But that things sort of, the world is complicated. We all are running on kind of trying to figure out how to relate to each other. And in doing that, we intentionally or unintentionally hurt people. And I don't, I'm not okay with intentionally hurting people, even though sometimes we all do. It happens sometimes out of defense and sometimes out of malice. But that assigning blame never feels comfortable to me. But taking responsibility, if you're not taking responsibility for a fault or a wrong, then it makes more sense to me. And I know that might seem like trying to get out of something, not taking responsibility for actions, but I just have a hard time seeing anybody, myself included, as, you know, doing something wrong. It's for me, it's more, I did something, you received it poorly and it hurt your feelings. Okay. So now what do we do? But I find people in my life and there's lots of people in my life who feel this way. They're looking for not necessarily from me, but from somebody that somebody take responsibility for this and they're wrong and they did something and they should own up to it and they should stop it. And I don't work that way. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm always running into this uncomfortable thing of like, I'm just, I'm just trying to, get, you know, go through life doing what feels right in the moment. And I'm very sorry it hurt you, but I don't feel like taking accountability for your hurt. I feel it's okay for me to apologize and be sincere and to feel your pain and be compassionate, which I'm not always great at. (laughs) Most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time I try. (laughs) But to accept fault, to take responsibility for a fault or wrong, I don't know how, I don't know how to feel about that. And I don't, I don't think I expect that of other people, but sometimes I find myself saying things that, that are looking for me to assign blame. 
So it's just a tricky line. Like, how do you, how do you be accountable for what you're doing and who you are in the world without assigning blame or having blame assigned to you? And I haven't figured it out yet. So that's just the stuff I'm kind of wrestling with this week. And I don't, I don't want to feel blamed and I don't want to blame people, but it's a little trap. I don't know if it's American culture or all cultures, but it's a little trap we have of like, somebody's got to take the crap for this. Somebody did this <laughs> <laughs> and they need to be sorry and they need to be punished and maybe go to prison for the rest of their life. Those are my thoughts today. And when it comes to depression, I think when you're depressed, there's, there is no one to blame and it is nobody's fault. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. So I hope you're all feeling well this week and not being blamed for anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then today we have with us in the studio, Nico. Nico is a local Tucson artist. Hello, Nico. Welcome Hello. to the depression session. Hello, listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm spending this time with Laura because the only way to spend time with project people is getting their projects. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what's new with you? What are you working on? Um, always oh something. Boy, always something. My small projects, my, the past small project is uh, my postcard project. So it ran for two years, which really kind of means five years because it means like the year before, year and a half before researching everything and then two years of running the project. And then now I'm figuring out how to sum it up and make a book and, you know, <laughs> close that thing up you know just not have postcards everywhere not be designing postcards every week <laughs> <laughs> so there's that and then my long-term project is i'm temporarily describing it as a poetic cartography of belief so it's about the belief systems of the last roughly sixty-five thousand human years wow earthly human years yeah and mapping that all out. Yeah, and mapping that out and not writing it. Like a lot of people have done really good jobs, uh, most notably probably H.G. Wells, who wrote an outline of history in like a nine-volume set or something like that. Um, and there's been other people that have tried to do maps of history going back to the non-common era. Mm -hmm. um, I think Bill Bryson did a whole whole series yeah. on that. It's pretty, you know, and Joseph Campbell did a very good job with some of it, but it all has this scientific view which i wanted to get away from i wanted to get into seeing the arcs you know how how did the big changes happen i mean of course i'm going to go back and find the moments in history when i feel like this idea is what is uh coming up as a new idea maybe a revolutionary idea or when ideas are coming down and they literally burn libraries i have a whole section in my library that's all like the ends of certain civilizations and the mm -hmm. destruction of their culture. And I chose 65,000 years because we have cave paintings going to that date. So mm -hmm. I, there's art to track, which yeah. is always a good tool, I think, to measure beliefs and or time. A lot of cultures leave objects behind. Uh, so. I, I always tell my art students, this sculpture is 100,000 years old. Yeah. Like this painting is 25,000 years old. This is what we have. We have a few things left in the fire pit right. that could talk about diet and, and culture. And we, then we have the artwork. And art, art is very devalued 
in the United States, not yeah. in every country, but very devalued in the United States, even though it influences everybody all the time, the right. visual culture we live in. It's like a noise pollution culture. Yeah, but our understanding of ourselves through history is art. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. But I have a lot of history to sum up. And basically, I need all new I gotta need new words. I mean, need old words. I'm gonna need foreign words. <laughs> you know, like digging through stuff of like, you know, how many native cultures there, there are left or there were 200 years ago. I wanted a pre-World War Encyclopedia Britannica for this project because it's mm. basically summing up all of 19th century thought, which was, you know, is thought of as the scientific age, right? The dawn of science in Britain and and then draw all those th threads yeah, together. Yeah, draw the threads together and see. Yeah, so the, that was happening there. But what about West Africa at that time? Then I'm going to go around the globe. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sparing anything. So, because I think that it's all going to be linked together. For so, sure. For sure. You no, know, just in different ways. And if you try to do it chronologically or by written history, you're not going to get what I want to come up with. And I think mine's going to end up being a giant installation, like an amusement park-sized installation. Wow. So, but that's like, you know. You need a warehouse. Ten years down the road, <laughs> I'll need a warehouse. I'll be all like, help you guys. <laughs> if not, I'll just be going door to door. <laughs> it's like a stack of notes or something. I'm babbling door to door. Please help my project. <laughs> it's very important. Well, that is really cool. So, Nico, tell us the story of your depression. Oh, the story of my depression. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about blame or if that was just something you were talking That's about. That's just, I always have a topic of the week. You can okay. certainly talk oh, about I it. Well, I just thinking your thoughts on it. It's funny because I think you and I are some of the few people that actually have the same view on blame. And it's very hard in this culture with this English language as our, and, you know, speaking as a person who's lived with depression probably their whole life. You know, hard to say from your early years, like, look back, but, you know. In the womb. And I was looking at, like, <laughs> early journals when I first went from a, a marriage therapist, and then uh, my wife ran away, literally. <laughs> and the doc asked, like, where is your wife? And I said, oh, she's gone. Like, gone, gone. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm here for marriage counseling. And my wife just split, you know. So I think <laughs> we're going to either stay in the counseling or uh, call off. I don't know. So, But I liked the counselor, so I, like, kept talking to her. Because now I had been struck with, like, oh, boy, you know, I'm a single dad. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends are doing the single mom thing now for the same reason. One partner just splits out of nowhere and says, you take the baby and blah, blah, blah. Or they say nothing. <laughs> or they say nothing, exactly. Yeah, this really wasn't, this, yeah, this was just kind of like, I'm going, I'm leaving, goodbye. You keep the kid, see you later. So I was thinking one of the more important things this morning about depression, it's important to remember that you can, this is the, also like the blame, it's like what other people feel, they own that. Unless you are like, you know, hitting them with a stick and they feel pain because of that then that's pretty basic A plus B, blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, if you're talking something emotional, it's a lot more murky than that. And I've been told, you know, by other people, by relatives, you know, oh, you made such and such cry. And I was like, really? You know, like what? I, I can't make people cry. If 
I think what you were saying something about, well, okay, we're here. How do we get out of here? It wasn't my intention to make you, make you cry. There wasn't, you know, this level of emotional response is not my intention. But if I did it unintentionally, I'm still responsible for it, which just means going to the person and trying to be more clear. So anyways, back to depression, I was bringing up the thing about the marriage counseling because she had me go through like all my old journals and stuff, which I keep as an artist. So I like to look back, you know, and have PTSD memory issues. So I have to be able to have something written to look back upon. So I look back and I'd seen like through all these times in my life that I thought of as were happy times, there was also like suicidal writing in my diary. And it was like this constant thread, you know, and uh, I was like, wow, that's interesting. You know, I never viewed my life as, I mean, I wasn't happy with the world, but there's a lot of people who are unhappy with the world. That's not the same. I guess that's what I was trying to say again about moods and emotions versus a disease or, a, you know, you have to be careful with the word a little bit because it's kind of clinical, but, you know, you, you can be happy and still be depressed. You know, you can be surprised and still be depressed. You can be sad as hell hiding under the blanket and be depressed. Or So I would have to say that that was the first time I became conscious of having depression as an actual illness. You know, that I'd had this thread through my whole life. It's interesting because in the psychiatry world, it is all about like, kind of blame right everything like you know freudian stuff is all like you know oh it's just because you wanted to have sex with your mother or like crazy stuff where but and that's a kind of a major trap actually because they you know they want to know is it because you know your dad molested you or you know sometimes those things did not exist they're not the cause of depression sometimes depression is just your biology and the way it interacts with where you are geographically in the world and what energies come your way or don't come your way or what you can pick up or what you can't pick up. So basically, I I remember my story with depression, kind of self-knowledge beginning there. And then, okay, well, what am I going to do? You know, I don't want to take medicine, but on the end, I also don't want to be, and I want to be able to like do a whole project without thinking about killing myself, you know, 80 times during it, you know, what was once, well, I'm medicated now, but it was like literally every four hours, I'd have to like fight this urge to kill myself. Years and years to that, that's depression, they say. So (laughs) I would have to agree. But yeah, so that was the first time I viewed it. And then I decided once I got hooked up with a psychiatrist, I did decide to take some medicines. Of course, I tried all kinds that didn't work and years of just trying new experimental things and kind of feeling like a guinea pig, but in the end, I did get a medicine that worked, so that helps. Um, it doesn't take a depression out of my life. If anything, it just makes me realize how much more of a biological thing it is. Because I could, you know, make a great plan of something that's, like, spectacular, that I love doing, and I'll still be depressed all the way through it, or I'll, like, hide under the blank and not talk to anyone. <laughs> And then I'll know, like, this is that thing that you can't quite get your hand on. This is depression. Well, maybe some people are better at it than I am, you know. But I find that I can't beat it with a happy stick, you know. (laughs) 
it doesn't really work. I mean, you see me in my daily life, I actually do that because people do try, people try to blame me and scapegoat me. So I always, you know, blow them a kiss goodbye or whatever. So I have that kind of reaction where again, I am kind of guilty of like poking people because I wear funny clothes or, you know, like costume explorations. I didn't mention that, by the way. I went do a costume exploration every summer, every winter. And this winter I'm doing corduroy and uh, leather belts that have people's names on them, those old style things, and uh, like more kind of vertical lines to match the corduroy, old school 70s, probably turtlenecks or something. So that's the other project why there's clothes all over my house. So <laughs> did, did some, did Nico discover some strange corduroy universe? <laughs> like there's all these corduroy jackets, like I don't know, 25 of them at least, you know, different colors. So I'm doing Crayola color, colorful corduroy exploration. And I'll be able to do that almost any day that my depression's at. That's one of the things I like about the way I've made the, um, the costume explorations is that I have all the clothes, you know, this year I'm going to put like outfits together because I actually have a lot of sewing I need to do. It's hard to find corduroy nevertheless, like in my size, that's useless, you know, so I just, just been grabbing it, you know, so I do some sewing and then, you know, I can, I can get dressed and there'll be no clothes that aren't corduroy clothes lying around. So it's easy. I can do it. And then I can kind of center myself and that makes my life with depression, which is a 24 seven thing, you know, it does have spikes. It can be poked. <laughs> can be, certain things can be brought out. So yeah, so that's the beginning of my story of depression and to, um, I don't know, kind of feel like ending on the higher note of like, you know, one of my explorations I do all the time is kind of like a, a 24 seven medicine for that. It's like the one project I can do, even if I'm really depressed, I can at least like throw on some corduroy, roller skate down the avenue come back and then you know more than one person will have seen me and wake to me and said hi and i can spread some craziness and then just do whatever my biology allowed me to do i guess i found that i like having a project that i can do in whatever state i'm in i've tried different things like coloring books and stuff but it doesn't really it doesn't work as well music has always worked i don't know then sometimes you want to listen to music that's in tune with your mood, which is why there's a lot of horror movie soundtracks on my shelf. After <laughs> <laughs> living with depression for me is buying very expensive import horror movie soundtracks. <laughs> it's an extra cost. About, you know, and then the therapist start asking you questions that you think are really weird. Has there ever been gun violence in your life? And I'm thinking like, I don't remember no gun violence. There's always been gun violence in my life. And I, don't you live in the same world as me? Like we, there's a lot of gun violence, right? There's wars, there's, there's like straight violence. You know, if you're lucky enough, I've never been at either end of the gun because I've been at both, you know? Um, it's like, uh, yeah, wait, what is that? You know, and they look in the book and it says like, you know, oh, if you've, been witness to, you know, a, a violent crime with or without a weapon, that this could be, you know, a very major trigger that I've seen like six different things. And to me, they were all things that were normal in my life, my whole life. But uh, for that reason, I never thought of them as 
depression. Like, li- literally, it's like protesters, you know? <laughs> like, Nico, you have a depression face. <laughs> just help yourself out, you know? Because, yeah, I just thought everyone felt that way. Everyone, you know, of course, feels different things differently. But, um, yeah, I mean, the loss of a spouse, the change of a child. I mean, I can't even go into the things that are triggers. But the triggers aren't necessarily, I guess that's what I wanted to be clear on. It's like the triggers are not necessarily the depression. You know, The depression lives its own life, you know. And then you have to be careful. Yeah, because fear finds funny places to hide. Mm-hmm. And depression, I think like a lot of things, is fear-based. I don't mean that it's, that it is fear. I just think the reason we have depression as a disease is because of the culture that we live in. If it were a different culture, it would look at things differently. We might, we might have more words for the, that blame thing. We might have more words for depression. We might even have different ways to cure it. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty simple roundup. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting much better at like when the big triggers happen, I just do something fun through it. Or, you know, I just deal with, you know, take responsibility for the emotion that I'm feeling and know that it's just natural to me. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not something I should be scared of. It's not, you know, I don't have to follow what my mind's telling me. You know, I can say this big thing about having a, I have two things, power to say no, very serious, no. <laughs> no, no arguing with yourself that wants to kill yourself, you know, just no. <laughs> And then, and what I call my super joy engine, which I don't really, there's probably a belief system based on it, but like, I can literally feel this, uh, like a infinity, infinity, what do you call that? Infinity symbol? Yeah, the mm-hmm. infinity symbol. I can feel it run here. Like, I guess that's where they say your heart chakra is in that definition. I went, like in your throat and chest. And I could feel it spinning and I can, I can think about it and make it, spin faster, slower, and I found that I can create joy or at least dam up depression for a little bit with that. Whatever that whatever that is. I have no idea. It's very strange. But someone told me once that in uh Chinese medicine that's called the oh, I'm not gonna remember what they call it. But there's a name for that particular thing that I had, you know, quote discovered on my own. But, yeah. <laughs> and it's that yeah, some piece of the the puzzle because there's no central nervous system in traditional Chinese medicine. So there's all these other things and that's one of them. Yeah. So I'm here to say that you can have serious depression and still live a good life. And it might be difficult, but you know, there's lots of other diseases that you could have. They're all difficult. (laughs) 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 I lost some friends this year to some diseases and to some other things. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I think what I'd like to say most about depression in my life is that I've, wow, now it's been, I'm trying to think how many years, well, it's been more than 20 years that I started realizing that I was clinically depressed and started experimenting with medicine, and now I'm on a medicine that works, I'm trying to get off a medicine that doesn't quite work, and the legalization of uh, medical cannabis has helped me a lot. 
and that option just wasn't there before. And now I'm really ready to just continue on a much like more grounded way. Thanks, Nico. Thanks so much for your story. Thank you. Thank and you, then, listeners. Yeah, and I just had a couple things I wanted to pull out of that. One was kind of like being depressed, the thread that it runs through whole life, mm-hmm. but that in that you can have happiness. Right. You can be engaged in the tools you do for that. Right. You need special tools, you know. I mean, I'm still so overly sensitive to certain things that I still haven't taken a shower. I just take a bath to bathe. I can't get in the shower. I've, you know, we've seen videos of like autistic kids screaming in the shower. That's pretty much how it would be. And I'm like, well, who needs a shower to bathe? You know, <laughs> got a big bathtub, you know? So we just let some of those little battles go, you know? And I think too, I mean, we're both at the age where self-knowledge starts to come into play of like, these things work for me. Not everything does, but these, and then I get a new tool here or there that just helps. And I really like the thought that you can be depressed and suicidally depressed. I mean, that would be the clinical eco definition, right? Suicidal depression, which even that, even that, you can have a good life. Yeah. I think it's important because you can't really see it. You know, you need, you know, I've created like a whole, system of things through every day of the week you know change my life this way that way but like you said at this point in our life we're kind of like more able to see clearly what works and doesn't work and know that there's going to be something in the future that we can grab at you know people always like i get a lot of people uh complain to me that i shouldn't be on medicine you know i'm just fine you know it's a whole other belief system mm-hmm. uh, christian science does that too Medicine at all, and our spiritual crowd in yeah, Tucson is exactly. a little Very bit much on that the end same way. Yeah, like oh, well, and it happened in the in the early seventies. There was a battle against psychiatry too. I mean, but in the early seventies, you know, uh, homosexuality was in the DSM three as a disorder. So it's you know these are things that move very slowly, <laughs> very very slowly, <laughs> and you never know if they're going to revert to where they were no. worse one one day off. And it was interesting you were talking about going down the avenue and in, in, in whatever your costume of that season is. And it reminded me of a time when we were spending time together and you were talking about feeling invisible. And just like those recognition of like, yep, I'm visible. Somebody saw me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I never thought about that connection before. I've been corrected about that. Like I've had friends for many, many years, you know, since I first moved to Tucson that are like, Nico, we know you think you're the fly on the wall, but actually, everyone knows who you are. <laughs> it reminded me, I rushed the stage at the P-Funk show. They used to allow people to rush the stage back in the day, you know, but this is Tucson Rialto, you know, you don't rush the stage. But I remembered, because I'd been to so many of their shows, I remembered the moment when you're supposed to run this. And I was like, I was talking to this woman and she was from North Carolina. I was like, it's just time to rush the stage. Let's go. Let's go dance on the stage. And she's like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, I can do this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like from the back of the bar, I just ran full speed and like leapt up on the stage and I danced through the whole time. And later, you know, I was cleaning up and uh, I said, hey, to a friend, I said, did you see me dancing on stage? That was a blast. You know, she was like, uh, everyone saw you. 
on stage. I was just wearing like a mini skirt. That's <laughs> it. So, well, Nico, that's a perfect note to end the show on. Thanks oh, for being on the depression thanks. session. Thank you. Thanks everyone who listened through the whole whatever it was story. <laughs> it's a story. Got lots of them. Anytime you want to hear one, just please. Uh, happy to trade a, a lullaby for a story is what I'd like to trade. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you. You're listening to KTDTLP Tucson, Downtown Radio 99.1 FM.